these three days that we're going to have together, and um, I'm always surprised when I get, you know, invited back to something, <laughs> so it's good, you know, um, but um, I was just thinking about that song, um, that he's the potter and I'm the clay, and um, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, if, if we sing that and we mean it in our hearts, you better hold on. Because when the potter starts working on your clay, it can be painful. And, um, you know, I, I, just, I just needed to come for a few days. Pastor said, how are you? I said, I'm tired, you know, worn out, you know. And... Um, you know, sometimes, I, I guess it's no matter what you do, you know, I mean, um, you know, we're, Pastor and I and Brother Dalton, we're, we're in full-time ministry, so, I mean, that's what we do, that's what we know, and it's hard for someone who's not in it to really understand it, because you can't really understand it until you do it, and, but I'm telling you, sometimes ministry's brutal, um, and, and I just felt like earlier in the week, I was just getting beat up, you know, and I'm sure that happens in your yeah. occupation, it just... Whatever you do, and it's hard. You try to explain it to somebody, and it's like, yeah, yeah they're not going to understand. And I just thought, you know, I just need a few days away, hang out with some guys, talk about the Lord, forget everything else, and let the email box overload. Uh, it's always my fear, you know, you're gone two, three days, you know, and, and then it's like uh, mailbox full, you know, and I'm like, you know, whatever. It'll, if it's important, they'll write again, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> And I just, I needed to be here, and um, I just thank you for letting me, let me come and be a part. Now, last year, and I don't know if it's, it's hard for me to think that it's been a year already. I mean, it seems like three or four months, and, uh, but the year just went by fast for me, and I imagine for you. We talked about John 15, and I originally intended to go through the whole chapter, and I think we got through verse 6, but... um, this year, I, I want to kind of build on that. And um, this, this afternoon, I, I'm going I'm to talk to you about some foundational things. And then this evening, I'm going to talk something that's a little more general, too, that it will affect men and women. But then, then, then tomorrow and Friday morning, I'm going to talk about our role as husbands. So uh, if you're not a husband yet, but you would like to be a husband at some point in the future... Um, don't, don't ditch out and say it doesn't apply to me, um, because I think there's going to be some, some truths. But after last year, and, and uh, when Pastor and Brother Abshire said, you know, could you come back? I was like, well, yeah. And I started praying about, okay, well, what do I bring back, you know? And, and I started thinking about this concept of the difference between being a standard bearer and an image bearer. Now... Um, John 15 is all about Jesus living in us, right? I mean, he's the vine, we're the branches. His life flows through us to produce fruit. What happens when you, when you build a uh, religious facade is that you become a standard bearer. Now, 
in the scriptures, when the armies of Israel would go and they would march out into battle or when they were in the wilderness during that 40 years, they would go by tribes and in front of the tribe there would be a standard. It would say, this is the tribe of Gad. This is the tribe of Judah. This is, and it, the, the standard told people who this was. And they would go into to battle and there would be a standard and said, this is who these people are. This is who you're up against. And the psalmist said, uh, he said, your banner over me is love. He was talking about that standard. He was picking, putting together a, a picture of when we're going to battle. And he said, what's above me? Who, where's my identity come from? Who am I? Who are we? And uh, he's saying that the banner over me is love, your, your relationship, who you are for me. Um, and, and really, when you think about it, initially, you might say, well, what's wrong with being a standard bearer? I mean, we go out in the world, you know, we got a bumper sticker on our car, um, we've got the license plate frame, you know, most of us shouldn't have bumper stickers about Jesus on our car, because I've seen you drive, and it's not a good testimony. <laughs> Right, but okay, you know, we got the, what is the whole thing? The bumper sticker says, oh, this is who I am, you know. Um, it, it's saying this is the, the standard. Um, and so people were, were known by the standard they bear. Now, in, in my own journey, spiritual journey, I think that what I was taught, after I was taught that I was saved by grace, was to be a standard bearer. Now, the standards, when we had them, was what you put forth to represent who you were. So, um, we would go to, to uh, the, the supermarket, but we wouldn't go down certain aisles because then the standard might be contaminated, right? Because even if you couldn't, we couldn't even buy cooking wine um, because you didn't want anyone to misunderstand. Now, I'm... I don't want to get sidetracked on that, that little part of it, but there's all kinds of standards. And we had dress standards. And uh, uh, Brother Dalton knows that, um, that if you are a good Christian, you wear a white shirt. <laughs> right? A white shirt, and you have a certain haircut. There's certain, you have regulation haircuts because there's Christian haircuts and there's worldly haircuts. I don't know how they decided which ones were the Christian ones and which ones were the worldly ones, but most of you are worldly. Okay? You know, I mean, they had it. That was the standard. And, and, and you say, well, why do we do that? So we don't go to the movies. Why? Because, well, we have standards. And if someone went to the movies and said, well, man, you need to get good standards. Everything that a standard bearer has is external. Most of their reasoning is external. Now, a standard bearer may have very good doctrine. But there's a difference between a standard bearer and an image bearer. The image bearer allows the indwelling life of Christ to be manifest in them. The standard bearer requires that everybody sound, act, look alike. But the image bearer realizes that each of us are individual, diversity of gifts, personalities, but can manifest the nature and the character of Christ. 
See, what happens so often is that when you think about it, you talk to the unbeliever and you say, you, you ask them what's, what's their opinion, or they might just tell you what their opinion is. It's all related to the standard bearer. The standard bearer is known for the standards, but not the character of Jesus Christ. The standard bearer says, you know, I'm better than everyone else because I have the standards. Regardless if they ever represent the nature and the character of Jesus Christ. You see, you can bear a standard and not bear the image. You can have all of the right standards and your wife is is just drained physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Every relationship, when it comes to standards, because it's a law-based system. Now, let's start off with Scripture. I just want to give you, throw that out there, have you start chewing on this thing. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. He says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, my purpose this afternoon is not to go into all of the rich doctrine that is contained in those two verses, because we could spend six months digging through that one. There is just full of it, full of, full of doctrine, full of incredible truth, and I I encourage you, dig into that. But let's just accept that the scripture uh, means what it says. And um, he starts off and he says, For whom he foreknew, he predestined. And what did he predestine? He predestined that we would be conformed to the image of his Son. So everything we do that manifest standards is as a substitute to the image is frustrating the purposes of God. No amens? Amen. Thank you. Even if you don't agree, give me one and I'll keep going. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? What is God's purpose for your life? What's, what's God's purpose for my life? His purpose for my life is that I manifest the image of His Son. Everything that Jesus did on that cross was to liberate me from the law system, set me free from both the penalty and the power of sin, so that He could live in me, so that He could manifest His life through me, so that I would represent the image of His Son to the world. Now, I remember some time ago there was a comedian and I was flipping through the channels and listening to him and being interviewed and, and he's, they, they, it was something like, you know, why do you uh, hate Christians? I think the guy's a Jewish guy, comedian, but I think he's just an atheistic, you know, and he just hates Christians. And he said, well, because I've never met a Christian that acts like Jesus. Now, the only reason I paid attention is because I thought, oh, whoa, watch Christianity respond. And it was like politicians. It was all, that's not fair. He doesn't know everybody. And, you know, you know. And I'm like, wait, you just missed the point. He's probably right. 
When you read through the Gospels and you see how Jesus interacted with people, Pastor and Brother Dalton, we were talking about this whole thing, and I, I just am so deeply convicted about this. You see, if I'm a standard bearer, I don't care what other people think. I've got a standard. And if I've got to stomp all over them and beat them to death, it doesn't matter. I've got a standard. And my identity, my pride, my, my, my whole purpose in life is bearing the standards. I, I've been to conferences where the theme of the conference was hold to the old landmarks. You know, but, but, but think about it. And it sounds good. But do we bear the image of Christ? And so that's what I'm, what I'm trying to get us to understand is, listen, God doesn't want you to be a standard bearer. He has predestined that you bear the image of his son. Well, I think I got something else for them. I, got, I, I, I told Brother Dalton I got my six-shooter pretty much full. You know, I had six sermons, I got a six-shooter, I got a bullet for each one. Um, and I'm very excited about it. But think about it with me. Okay, just talk to me, okay? You read through the Gospels. All of you guys have read through the Gospels, I'm assuming. If you haven't, you should. It's, but when you think about Jesus... Give me some adjectives that describe Jesus. What? All the different fruits of the Spirit. The forbearing and the long-suffering and the compassionate. Patience. I mean, suffering long. What's that? Merciful. Merciful. Compassion. I mean, just incredible compassion. And, and we were talking about, lunch, at, at, after lunch, I was just like, you know, think about Jesus, man. The Pharisees were just always trying to trip him up. And, and I love that, man. I mean, I thought about it. What sick mind goes and finds a woman in the act of adultery and brings the woman for Jesus to condemn? I don't know, I mean, I could be way off base on this, but they knew her for a reason. I don't know, I mean, the Bible doesn't say, I'm just guessing, I mean, but there was a reason they knew where they could find a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and they were pretty familiar with it. And they didn't bring the guy. And they're, 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 they're bringing him to Jesus, and they're saying, now, now the law says, she's got to be stoned. What the law actually says is they both had to be stoned. But they always had this convenient way that the guys were always kind of off the hook. So what did Jesus say? Now, you know, we don't have time to go in. What was he writing in the sand? I don't know. I've heard some interesting things. Pretty fun. Maybe nothing. Maybe doodling. Maybe waiting for the Holy Spirit to bring some conviction. Maybe he was writing their sins or when they had visited her or who knows. But he finally looks up and he says, you know, where to everybody? Where's your accusers? Now think about this. This is a woman, whatever she was, uh, she was caught red-handed. And Jesus says, well, where are your accusers? 
And she goes, they're all gone. And he goes, neither do I accuse you. Now, I don't know about you, but since it's just us guys, I, I am so quick to judge. I mean, I'm not really quick to judge myself, but I can judge my wife like that. I, you know, if I stay with you, I'll, I'll have the uncanny ability to figure out everything you're doing wrong. Now, and I think that's just, it's, it's tragically what we do. But, you know, I've got standards. Well, not really, but uh, I used to. And, and so if I have my standards, then it doesn't matter if I'm just full of judgment and condemnation and guilt and death, does it? Because I got the standard, and we all rally to the standard. So, Jesus, woman caught in the act, compassion, no judgment, sends her off, says sin no more. The woman at the well. I mean, this is a trip. Walking through Samaria, all on, on purpose. The Jews didn't like walking that way. They walked around so they could avoid being contaminated because they had a standard. A standard of holiness. All external. A standard of holiness. And Jesus says, no, we're going to go through here. And he, and he says, Let's, I'm going to rest. You guys go get something to eat. And here comes this woman. In the afternoon, she's getting water. Jesus goes through the whole thing. You know, give me some water. I'll give you water. She's like, what? And everything is good until she brings up religion. But as soon as she starts bringing up religion, she, he's like, well, you know, go get your husband. Which complicates things because I don't have one. Which was technically true. And Jesus said, well, you had five and you're living with somebody else. Now, I don't know, but even five divorces, even today, that's pretty extreme. But think about, in that culture, it was unthinkable. And then she was shacking up. Now, that's not so uncommon today. But how would we respond to someone who had been divorced five times and shacked up? How did Jesus deal with her? Same things we're talking about. Same adjectives, right? Compassion, patience, long-suffering. You see, Jesus was all about leading people to freedom, not condemning them. Jesus, you know, they, they tried to pin him down. He says, you know, I haven't come to condemn. I've come to set people free. But I thought, am I, how often am I just ready to condemn? Because there's so much of the standard bearer in me and so much of the image of Christ that stills lacking. I think I shared this with you last year. If I didn't, I meant to. Um, uh, was I asked myself this question. If my wife had one adjective to describe me, what adjective would she choose? Now, if I didn't share this with you, we can go through it again because it's something we should probably do every week. 
She's got one adjective to describe me. This is a scary thought. I mean, forget the people who don't know you that well. I mean, this is the woman who knows you. She lives with you. She puts up with all of your, you know, stinky socks and other things. She knows every disgusting detail about you. And, And it's all a shock to her because you didn't tell her about any of it before you got married. Of course, they wouldn't have married us if we had told them, so I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just, <laughs> in this case, it's probably pretty helpful, but, uh, or we all be single. But the reality is, here she is, and what would she describe us as? And I'm thinking to myself, well, but would she choose love? And that's where I have to face this cold, hard reality that so often I'm more of a standard bearer than I am an image bearer. They will know that you are my disciples because of your, what? Love for one another. God is love. So, I mean, when we start off, this is what we got we to gotta start. We, we got to start this whole thing and say, am I going to be an image bearer or a standard bearer? You may end up doing many of the same things, but your motive and purpose is completely different. But I think what we have to realize is that we are frustrating the working of God through His Spirit in our lives as long as we're willing to focus on standards instead of His image. And, you know, you have to ask this tough question. The people who are closest to me, that know me the best, if you're not married yet, the people who are closest to you and know you the best, what adjective would they choose to describe you? Does it define standards or the image of Christ? Now, see, I, I for many years, thought that, that, it was, that the best thing, the thing that identified me as a good Christian was that I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't dance, I don't chew, or go with the girls who do. We didn't go to the movies. We didn't, I mean, we had a long list of things that we didn't do, and we were very proud of all of them. Now, this isn't about should you drink, dance, smoke. What, what, it's not about that. But I'm saying, if that's the standard that identifies who you are, but you don't manifest the image of Jesus Christ, you're frustrating the purposes of God. Amen. Jesus didn't come to establish a new religion. Christianity was never designed for what has turned out to be a religion. It was all about God in relationship with his creation. And he plants his life within us so he can manifest that life to the world. One of the things that I like so much about working with the lepers in India is, to me, it's like that's what Jesus would do. Now, it freaks some people out when, you, when, you're, when you're dealing with them. But I, I just, you know, if I could take everyone there, I think, you know, I, I would love for you to come. And, and I have Indian pastors, you know, they're like, they're all afraid of it. My wife, you know, she hugs everybody. 
um, you know, well, not everybody, but pretty close to everybody. Um, and she goes through those villages, and she hugs all those women. And these pastors are like, don't, don't touch them. Don't, you know. And I'm like, you know, you, you tell her, because you're not going to listen to me. You know, the, the, you know, she, but when you see it, it's, it's, she's not worried about, will I get sick? Will I get infected? How will it affect? She's not thinking about it. She's just thinking, these people need to be touched. You see, there, there's a sensitivity in Vanessa that's just like, it, it, it's so challenging to me because she realized that, that Jesus touched people. The, he, he wasn't afraid. He didn't care who they were. Pharisees were standard bearers. They didn't touch people because they had standards and they didn't want to become unclean. But Jesus brought healing to the people that they were all running from. So who are we more like? Are we more like Pharisees or are we more like Jesus? And, and it becomes, this is his divine purpose for us. He, he's called us and whom he's called, he's justified, he's justified that he would be glorified. Friends, um, the standard bearer does all that he does to hold the standard in order to gain acceptance and approval, both with God and his fellow man. The image bearer simply yields and allows himself to be used by the indwelling God to manifest that character through him. I'm not saying these things because I want you to feel guilty. Because I don't think that that's what Jesus is trying to accomplish in our life. I think he's saying, listen, will you yield to my purpose? Because this is my predetermined purpose for you. Is that you represent me. That you let me live in you and live through you. And when we see something that looks more like a standard and not the image, he's doing us a favor. He's saying, listen, remember, I predestined you for this. And this isn't who you are. So we say, okay, Lord, I I yield myself again. Live through me. And and you're the potter and and I'm the clay. And if you got to take some kink out of me, okay. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 23. He says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Now, why did he talk about those things in the beginning? Because those were what the standard bearers focused on. What you eat, what you drink, what you touch, he said, the, the, the focus, or he said, the substance is of Christ. And then he says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. The standard bearer's life is full of false humility. And worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic 
principles of the world. Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. I never heard that passage preached. Because it was all about don't touch, don't taste, don't... And and the issue isn't about what you eat and drink. That's really not what it's about. It's how are you trying to gain approval with God? You see, if we walk in relationship with him, he may say, you know, don't go there. And so you don't go there. But you don't have false humility. You don't have a pride. You're not doing it to gain approval. It's because you're letting him manifest his life through you. He says, why are you subjecting yourselves to standards? External standards. When you have something far better, which is the relationship with the living God. You see, we're, we're talking about it during lunch, you know, and uh, my wife said this, because I was like, why would someone want to live under all of that garbage again, you know? And she's like, it's easy. I was like, I told Pastor, I think she's right. I don't know why I didn't think of it earlier. It's just easy. You don't have to think. And, and, and really, your value, your worth, comes from bearing the standard and how well you bear the standard. Who cares if you look or act like Jesus? But if we really look at what the Scripture is saying, he's saying, listen, the purpose, the thing that matters, isn't the standard. You, you follow the standard, you're going to be bound up in judging, and, and you're going to have all kinds of regulations. And, and when I was the president of a Bible college, the interesting thing is that you have regulations, but young people have an incredible capacity to uh, get around regulations misinterpret regulations. So what you do is you you write more regulations and they learn to get around those. And so before you know it, man, you can have a handbook that's the thicker than the scriptures and becomes more important to people. Why? Because you're doing what the scripture says not to do. Not to focus on externals. Regulations, but to listen and realize what God has made you be. Was who's the head? It's Jesus. And where does He live? In us. It's self-imposed religion and false humility. And I don't care if it's Jehovah's Witness or Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or whatever. They all have different brands. But it's man-made religion and it's false humility. You see, we're image bearers to live out. We live out of the blessing of being in relationship with him. And it frees us from the horrible task of judging and self-righteousness and false humility. You don't realize how much energy you waste judging everybody. And how ungodlike it is. 
I mean, don't, don't misunderstand. God is going to judge. He will. But that's not why we're here. And every time we put ourselves in the place of being judged, and I'm not talking about discernment. There's a difference between being discerning and being judgmental. We are, we're supposed to be discerning people. But there's a difference in judging. And he's saying, listen, when you put yourself in the place of judge, you're saying, I'm a little God. Which is the lie way back in the garden when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you say, well, what do you mean? The knowledge of the good and evil meant you became the person who decided what was good and what was evil. You became a little God. That was a part, the part of the lie that had the half-truth in it that Adam gave. Yeah, you'll be like God. You won't be God, but you're going to try and be God. And part of that is always going to be manifest in how you judge and how you condemn. Look, look with me at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, and then, and then skip and we'll look at verse 16. Bearing with another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgive you, so you also must do. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You see, we live and forgive as a reflection of what Jesus has given to us. You think about this in a whole different case, a different message. Maybe we'll talk about it at dinner. Um, how forgiveness, the, the, the way we forgive changes through the scripture. You know, even how Jesus, the apostles, well, you know, Peter is trying to figure it out. Okay, how much am I obligated to forgive? Well, seven times 70, you know, and we can say, well, that's 490. But he's talking about infinite things. And, and, and he said, uh, you forgive as you want to be forgiven, which is good. But do you realize that after the ascension of Christ, after the resurrection and ascension, the standard changed. Now you forgive as you have been forgiven. How have you been forgiven? This is the difference between standard bearer and image bearer. The standard bearer has certain conditions that he's placing on forgiveness. One is you got to confess, you got to be repentant, you got to be sorry, and, and there's nothing wrong with confessing, repenting. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not what we're talking about. Don't miss the point. But he's saying, listen, now, how does Jesus forgive us? Well, if you read the scripture, he's saying, I forgave you of all of it. And because of this mind-boggling concept that Jesus, that God lives outside of the realm of time. He saw the past, present, and future as one. He, it, nothing comes as a surprise to him. He saw the sum total of Tim Ekno's sin. He says, I'm going to forgive it. Completely. Unconditionally. This is the beauty of, of understanding what it means to be in Christ. This beautiful relationship is, listen, forgiveness has nothing to do with me. There's nothing I can do to put myself in the place where I deserve to be forgiven. The only way I could be forgiven, Hebrews tells us, is by that perfect one-time sacrifice of Jesus. So, an image bearer forgives how? Well, your wife will take advantage of you if you start forgiving like that. Standard bearer. 
and I'm, when I'm, when I'm preaching like I'm, you know, I'm preaching at me, you know, so don't, don't uh, that's probably why I'm, you know, maybe sound harsh. I'm just saying, you know, gosh, how many times have I done that with my wife, my kids, co-workers, and kind of had this perverted sense of, well, they, they got to suffer a certain amount before I'm willing to forgive them. <laughs> they got to know how sufficiently they have wounded me in order that they don't take advantage of me. But Jesus didn't do that. And if that's your image of God, boy, you need to get it straightened out. How did he forgive? Unconditionally. Romans 5. For when we were yet without strength, <laughs> he died for us. I, mean, I, 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 I was studying through that passage for a sermon I'm working on. I was like, you know, I use that word strength. He said, when you had no ability to do anything for yourself, he died for you. You know, the, the, the standard bearer, he, he can say, well, I've got all these rules and regulations and then you meet into this thing and then you'll be forgiven. But the image bearer he is, has come to restore. You see, the, the standard bearer, he lives out of a law system. And what was the purpose of the law? To bring death. <laughs> the law always produces guilt, condemnation, and death. The image bearer lives out of the spirit and the result is life. What 2 Corinthians calls, he says that, that we are ministers of a new covenant. The old covenant, it brought death. And, and of course, we, we don't misunderstand. Was the, the old covenant bad? No. The old covenant did its job well. It showed you how messed up you really are. Every time you try to live under it, every time you try to put someone else under it, it will always have the same result. Guilt, condemnation, death. So if there's death in our relationships, all we got to do is hunt out the law. And say, wow, where's the image? Where's the image of Christ? You see, Jesus came so we could have his life and manifest that life to the world. He didn't save us so that, to leave us to live in failure, but he, he saved us, he put his life in us to set us free. And when Jesus sets you free, Scripture says, you're free indeed. He died for us so that he might live in us for the purpose of living his life through us. And I can't think of a verse that better sums it up than Galatians 2.20. And he starts off and he says, and I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live... Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. It always comes back to faith. I live by faith. Now, now think about it. The first step, if we're going to live victoriously, the first step, if we're going to bear the image of Christ, is to receive by faith the fact that we died with him. So let's, let's, let's dig into this and, and we're going to work through some theology here. The first part of that phrase was, I am crucified with Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I am crucified with Christ isn't that I'm going to suffer with him or for his gospel's sake, but it is our death in him. 
we hear so much about living the Christian life. Uh, and I've had people come up to me and say, Tim, can you show me how to live the Christian life? To which I respond, no. I can show you how to live the ethno life, but I don't think you want it. You see, the Christian life isn't what you do to accomplish things. Why do they call it the Christian life? Because it's the life of who? Christ. I mean, ethno life I can give you. Pastor Smith could give you Smith life. And that's what standard bearers do. They give you their standard. And, and I've been through this. I mean, where, you know, I, I'm sitting there t- t- in, in training young people. It was like, wait a second, you know, uh, I don't want these kids to come out looking like me. I want them to, to manifest Jesus. And I don't want them to manifest this guy and what pastor calls the cookie cutter mentality. Who wants to do that to anybody? I mean, if you're honest, get a good picture of your own flesh, you want someone else to come out looking like you? That's delusional. You you don't wish you on your worst enemy. Here it is. Jesus is saying, listen, the Christian life, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the manifestation of His Life. The reality is you've got to say, I, you can't live the Christian life. You can't live the Christian life. As long as I endeavor to live his life, I'm destined to live a life of frustration and failure. Now, don't give up hope. This is just the first part. Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you are dead, and your life is is hid with Christ in God. (laughs) Now, you're dead in Him. Now, the temptation is to consider these verses simply as allegorical. Um, But the reality is that you and I literally died in Him. Now you say, well, how, how is that possible? Because I'm sitting here trying to stay awake, and, and if, I was, if I was dead, I, I, you know, I wouldn't even be struggling with that. <laughs> what part of us died? Right. Uh, how many parts are there to man? I hope we didn't get any conflict here, but I believe in a trichotomy. Some people are dichotomous, but I think the scripture says that we're a trichotomous. First Thessalonians tells us that we're a body, soul, spirit. I think that an unbeliever is a, di- a functional dichotomous. By that I mean he's a functional two-part. He has a soul and a body. A, a non-functioning spirit. Dead to God. I'm glad I got through that one, Jorge. <laughs> like, ooh, you know, we'll get in trouble the first sermon. Um, but the reality is he's functioning just as a two-part being. But when Jesus comes to live in us, he plants his life. He says that spirit comes to life. The part of me that died was that whole relationship to Adam. The thing, the nature I inherited from Adam. You have kids, right? A, a boy? 
Two boys and a daughter. Thank God for daughters. Sometimes. Most of the time it's good, but good points and bad points. Challenges, yeah, in a few years. So you see that, that your children were in you, and you were in your father, and your father was in his father, because at any point that one of those people is eliminated, you, you cease to exist. So go great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather, and if you take that person out of it, you were in him, not allegorically, literally. And so we, we take it because we're Bible-believing people. We take it all the way back to Adam, and we say, I was, in, I was born in Adam. Because had anyone along that step been taken out, I would have no longer, I was in him. It's why when we look at it, he said that, when he talks about the tithes, he said that, that, uh, that Aaron and the, the priest, they gave tithes to Melchizedek because they gave it in Abraham. Right? They were connected. There's a lineage here. It's kind of a different concept for us to, to walk through. So I was born in Adam, dead to God because of sin. So what did, what did I need? I, I needed that old nature to be dealt with. And so I died in Christ. He had to take care of that old nature, what Romans 6 calls the old man in the King James. And that had to be crucified. Now, I've heard people say, you know, you've got to kill yourself. You've got to crucify yourself. And you've got to do it every day. Now, it sounds good. But have you ever tried to crucify yourself? You can't do it. I mean, it's literally impossible. No one can crucify themselves. Think of the guts it would take to take a nail and drive it through your feet. I'm telling you, if you ever got that nail through your feet, you'd never be able to get it through your hand because it takes two hands. Someone's always got to crucify you. And the unique thing about crucifixion is it always works. Nobody survives it. Might take some people four hours, might take some people 24 hours. There's cases where they thought some people might have died over 72 hours, slowly suffocating to death. But it always worked. So, when Jesus comes in and the scripture says, and he says, then you were crucified. What part of me? That spirit that was born dead was in Christ. It had to be taken. So there could be a break in the lineage between me and Adam. And we don't have time to go through the whole age, but now the first Adam, and then we get into the second Adam, we come into Christ so that we could be this new people with a new nature. And he says, listen, all that I was apart from Christ, all that I was in Adam, that whole nature, that whole identity that I was in Adam was taken to the cross and crucified. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Romans 6.6 6 says, knowing... I came into a mental cramp here. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. What happened to the old man? He's crucified. Are you crucifying him? I hope not, because you can't. 
Are you trying to kill him? I hope not, because he's dead. Now the flesh, and there's a distinction between the old man and the flesh, is alive and well. It will shock you sometimes. It will surprise you how it has this great capacity for sin, even when you think you're doing good, (laughs) especially when you think you're doing good. But he's saying that identity, that who you were in that old man, that, that was dealt with. I am crucified with Christ. Yeah, that old man, that old relationship. See, the, its purpose was to reveal to us, the, the whole law system was there to reveal to us how holy God was and how unholy we were. And then he comes and he, he replaces that and gives us life. You see, the, the reality is, when I was born in Adam through my father, Harry, who was born in... You know, from his father, uh, all the way back into Adam was we all were born with this predisposed condition called a sin nature, and, and I needed to die. It was the only way I could sever that relationship. Now, I, I don't even know what time it is. Um, it's three o'clock already. Um, I, I got to bring this because you say, well, well, how do I? How come I still sin? <laughs> If I died, how come I still sin? Isn't that the question we ask ourselves? Do you, do you ever sin? Probably, you don't know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I mean, you're looking at me like, you sin, Pastor Tim? I'm not going to sit next to you. I mean, why do we still sin? Death doesn't mean something ceases to exist. I know. You're all believers. Go to the funeral of a believer. Do you think that person ceases to exist? I hope not. Should we mourn at a funeral? Well, literally, probably not. Should be celebrating because finally, the old flesh, the contaminated by sin, physical body is dropped off, and the real person goes into the presence of the Lord waiting for their glorified body. They died, literally, but they didn't cease to exist. They just had a new relationship to their body. Death simply means a different or new relationship. The soul, the spirit of man continues to live. We all agree, right? But the die, yeah. See, so the, the reality is, see, the old me, it died, it but sin didn't cease to exist. <laughs> you go through Romans again, he's saying, man, uh, for, for Romans 6, 7 and 8, he says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. There's a brand new relationship. We're free from the penalty of sin. We're free from the power of sin. But the whole reason we're going through this is because if you don't know you're free from it, you'll never live free from it. If you think you're still a sinner, that's your identity. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you don't sin. Because I think we could all get somebody to prove that you do. I'm saying you have a whole new relationship to sin. You died to sin. It doesn't mean you don't have the capacity for it. Just hang on. We'll show you the capacity. You have a new relationship to it. Before, Paul said you were a slave to it, but now you are free from it. 
And, and what happens, and why this is important, is because if you're a standard bearer, the way you deal with sin is completely different than the way the image bearer deals with sin. The standard bearer has to look at everything as external. I don't do this and I'm trying to control it. And it's what I call flesh management. How do I manage my flesh? But you're never free from it. But, but Jesus is saying, listen, I put my life in you. I sanctified you so that I could put my spirit in you. And now he says, now go out and live who I have made you to be. And remember, you aren't what you used to be. You died. Meaning, you have a completely new relationship to it. But you've got to remember that. And he says, and then he said, uh, so he said, I am crucified with Christ. Say it with me. I am crucified with Christ. Uh, that was pathetic. <laughs> it was a cow. <laughs> I am crucified with Christ. Right? So we can say it. The scripture says it. We ought to affirm it. It's true. I'm crucified with Christ. If you don't say it, you don't affirm it, you're not going to live it out as truth. You're going to believe what you experience. You're going to do the whole charismatic thing. Whatever you experience, that's your new reality. How many of you have ever preached against charismatics? Against. against. You know what I mean? Like, it's experience-oriented. But I'm telling you, Baptists are just as bad. They're just different things. And I'm saying, listen, your experience doesn't determine reality or ultimate truth. God determines what's ultimately true, whether you experience it or not. But the wonderful thing where we started off is that He has predetermined His divine purposes for our lives is that we manifest this image, but we've got to know it to live it. And He's saying, listen, you have a whole new relationship. So we say, I am crucified with Christ. But that's not the end, that's just the beginning. He says, nevertheless, I live. The chain of sin has been broken. we got to remember, listen, that's not who I am anymore. I am victorious. I have Christ in me. His victory is my victory. I was a sinner, but I've been saved by grace. And he calls me now a saint, a beloved of God. Romans 6.4 Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. How do we walk in newness of life if we don't have new life? I mean, it's just asking the impossible. But when you start to realize, wait a second, the old me died. The, the, the old me that was a slave to sin died. Didn't cease to exist. There's a new relationship. And I have this new life. And he says, never. Now, now he's saying, now live this new life. But you've got to believe you got it. You have to be sailed to say with Paul, I, I'm crucified with Christ. But nevertheless, I live. I had to die so he could live in me. His, he could give me this new nature, Romans 6.18. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. A whole new relationship. And then he says, yet not I. So it's no longer my life. It's whose life? 
Christ's life. And where does Christ live? He lives in us. Why does he live in there? To manifest his image to the world. He, he, he died for me, but, they, you know, it wasn't an end in itself. He died for me so he could live in me. But it, that, that's not the end. Because that's kind of narcissistic. It's all about me, Lord. It's all about me. He died for me so he could live in me. What? No, he's saying I, I died for you so I could live in you. But that's not the end. The end purpose, going all the way back, what has he predestined us? To bear the image of Christ. And so we haven't really started to be experienced what he wants us to experience until we're letting him manifest his life through us. So I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. See, this is just the beauty of it. I, I, I am completely hid with Christ. We are so attached We are so linked that we are inseparable. God wants us to experience everything he says is true. No doubt about it. But just because I don't experience it today doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, take it in the reverse. You were a sinner. But one day you had a good day and you acted like a saint. Did it make you a saint? We all agree. No, it didn't make me a saint. The folly of Catholicism, right? I can do certain things and I could become saintly. I mean, it's nice, but it just doesn't work out. Why can't we accept it if it's true that way? It's, it's, it's true the same way with our righteousness. You see, because of our experience. And we buy into this lie that says, yeah, but I don't act that way. And here's the point. What is God's divine purpose? What has he predestined you to be? To be the image of his son. And I I believe that God just keeps working on us and working on us and working on us until he gets through those hard-headed, stiff-necked, self-willed souls of ours to get us to realize, you can't do it. It's what I say is true. And he molds and he works and he changes. And thank him, he is so patient with us. But all for that purpose, he's predetermined. It's, and yes, when, when we go into glory, he's going to have it perfect way. But he wants you to experience it today. And I don't want to settle for less than what he determines. So, do I want to sin? Absolutely not. Will I sin? Yeah, probably. Hopefully not in front of you. <laughs> but possible. Yeah. And if you are a standard bearer, you'll make sure you tell me. (laughs) So he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And that ought to give you goosebumps. He lives in you. He's determined a whole new identity for you. You may feel like the old man is alive and well, but I'm telling you, Scripture says he's dead. Your flesh is alive, but the old man is dead. The old man, the difference between the old man and the flesh. The old man was the identity I inherited from the first Adam. The flesh is everything I do in self-sufficiency. 
the flesh was trained by the old man. You inherited it. Your kids inherited it from you, and you inherited it from your father. You never have to teach your kids to do wrong. You know, you think about it, they're little babies. But as soon as they can talk, they can lie. No one teaches them to lie. Why? They inherited an old sinful nature from you. And you inherited it from your father, who inherited it from his father, who inherited it from his father, who, if you go back far enough, inherited it from Adam. And that part of you had to die so you could have a new identity. And he says, I crucified you. I took you to the cross, that old nature severed, so that I could place you in Christ, so that just like you inherited everything from Adam, you now inherit everything from Christ. And you're righteous because of who you are in Christ and what he has accomplished on your behalf. It's not what you do. You've got to give up on you. In the sense that you can do it and recognize, I can't do it, but Christ who lives in me, can do everything he desires. Now, sidebar. Someone's going to say, Tim, are you talking about passivity? Well, let go and let God. No, I'm not talking about passivity. I'm talking about actively yielding yourself to the divine will of the Father who indwells you. I'm saying I actively yield. And when I'm confronted with my flesh, that self-willed part of me, indwelling sin, what Romans 7 calls sin in me, that isn't me. Figure that one out. Paul says, man, sin is in me, but it's not me. And, and the only way I know how to describe it is like a thorn. A thorn gets under your skin. It gets infected. Most of us don't cut our fingers off. We don't say, you horrible finger. Look at the pain you're causing me. We say, wow, that thorn's in there and it's infecting me. I got to get rid of that thing. Because there's something in me that's not me. It doesn't belong in there. And that's sin. It's in me, but it doesn't belong there. It's not who I am. And we got to let God work at pulling the thorns, the flesh, and, and releasing us from it. He says, so, uh, I, I don't even know what time I'm supposed to stop, but Christ lives in me. In Colossians 1, 2, uh, 1, 27, he says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amazing as it may sound. What's the hope? That he's in you. And this is the promise of the scripture. So if Christ is in me, why do I sin? Because sin didn't stop existing. But my relationship to it certainly did. Our identity as sinners simply was broken. It's no longer me. It's not the focus. That's why when we're standard bearers, we always focus on the sin. See, the, the standard bearer approaches it and says, okay, here's the sin. There's the sin of drunkenness, so don't drink. Here's the sin of uh, 
adultery or fornication or lust. We'll wrap them all together. So let's put on Baptist burkas. And, um, and if you go to some colleges, you know, separate elevators for boys and girls. Why? Because if you're managing your flesh, you've got to do everything you can to manage it. Of course, it's going to fail because the flesh left to itself will always find a way. You know it's true. So he's saying, listen, he, he say, if, we're, if we're standard bearers, man, we, we, we're in trouble because it's all external. But he says, as image bearers, we recognize there's, there's a new me. Sin it isn't who I am anymore. That's not natural for me. It's contrary to who Christ has made me to be. So sin is never the focus. Christ is the focus. How many of you guys have ever been on a diet? Some of you should be with me. Right? So my joke, I told this joke, nobody thought it was funny but me. I said, you know, we, we, we finally grabbed a hold of the idea that, that, that uh, our bodies are the temple of the living God and we're trying to build a super mega church. <laughs> you know? So I think, you know, he's like, we preach against, you know, drinking, smoking, dancing, but man, obesity, that's arson. And don't you even talk about that. <laughs> People said, you know, you know, what's your weakness? Food, man. I, I love food. I met this guy recently. He, he said that, he's, that he, when he gets stressed, he can't eat. I said, what? When I get stressed, I graze. I don't have to be hungry to eat. I just, you know, go through it, man. <laughs> I'd like to have that one. You know. Oh, gosh. I'd be skinny. But anyways, we're, we don't want to talk about that thing because that could be ours. Um, but this should... You go on a diet. You say, okay, i got to lose some weight here so I can see my toes. Right? So I'm going to go on the no pepperoni pizza diet. Because you've got to love pepperoni pizza. If you don't love pepperoni pizza, I mean, pastor, the guy, it's, pastor's the greatest guy in the world, but he's got some weird food things, you know? Like no garlic. What is up with that? I mean... That's <laughs> Exactly, he's got a standard. I mean, his standard, no garlic, man. I, you know, I'm like, what, no garlic? What do you eat? You know, uh, anyways, it's, blame it on the parents, I guess. So, you know, nothing like a really nice Italian, I mean, not Pizza Hut pizza, I'm talking pizza, you know, hand Rolled crust, a real tomato sauce with all kinds of basil and some herbs and real mozzarella. I'm not talking about that plastic stuff they sell on death. You know, no matter what you do, it doesn't, doesn't melt. No, I'm talking the stuff where the grease pours out. Right? You know what I'm talking about. You know, you pick up a slice and the grease is melting, coming right down your arm. And, and I'm talking pepperoni, real pepperoni that's spicy and it's all covered in that. And, 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 and it's just so good, you know. And, 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 but it's killing you. So you go, okay, I, gotta get, I, I can't eat pepperoni pizza because pepperoni pizza is a problem for me. So... Uh, I'm going on a diet, and I'm going on the no pepperoni pizza diet. So every day I wake up and I say, well, okay, uh, 
You can have whatever you want, but no pepperoni pizza. So breakfast, don't look in there for the leftover pepperoni pizza. Don't, no pepperoni pizza. And at lunchtime, you can have whatever you want, but don't eat pepperoni pizza. And at dinnertime, no pepperoni pizza. And what am I thinking about? What do I want? That's how the flesh works. You focus on sin, and it will always lead you to it. I don't care what it is. You, it's just as guys, you say, uh, don't look at attractive women. Don't look at attractive, don't look at her. Don't look at her, 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 don't look at her. Well, what did you expect? You put your whole focus on who? Looking at some woman. And you go, oh gosh, why did I do that? Well, why wouldn't you do it? You put your focus right on the wrong thing. You tell yourself, don't. You always want to. It's the law. How many of you have ever seen a sign and it said, don't touch wet paint? Usually you put on like handrails, like right there, you know, that kind of thing. Don't touch wet paint. What's the first? I never want to touch a handrail because I don't know whose hands have been there. Never. I don't like touching them. You know, even at airports, I'm like, ooh, you know, who knows? Don't touch those things. But if they put a sign that says, don't touch wet paint, I, I will convulse myself trying not to put my finger to see if it's real. I don't know why. There was this guest house that we used to stay at in Bangkok sometimes. We, we'd come up from the north and we'd go down to this guest house and they had this like TV room and it was really cool because we didn't have TV or anything. So you'd go in there and you could get, they had cable channels and they, and they had a sign one time. I went in there and I'm like, oh, we'll watch the news. They had a sign that says, don't turn to channels 21, 22, 23, 27. As soon as everybody's out of the room, I get the remote. I punch it to 21. Flick through, through, through. Because if they don't want me to do it, there must be some reason I want to. Now, you're probably not like that. But the reason they didn't want you to turn is because there's no channels there. <laughs> but for me, <clears throat> why? But as soon as I put my focus on something, tell myself I don't want to do it, forget it. But the standard bear, that's all he's got. But Jesus is saying, don't, the focus isn't sin. Why? Because sin was dealt with. The focus is always the indwelling life of Christ and the fact that you, the old you, died and the new you is Jesus living in you. So, instead of saying, don't look at sexy woman walking across the street, I say, you know, Jesus made me something different. And that's false advertising right over there. Well, because it is. It's false advertising. Because this, what Satan's saying to the man, he's saying, oh, that, that's going to that's gonna make you happy. Well, it's a total disassociation from reality. It, it's false advertising. But Satan can lure you, and you say, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look. You're dead, man. I, you've lost. Because you were already looking. That was the problem to begin with. But if you put your focus on Christ and who he made you to be, Christ living in you, you're free. 
If you don't think you're free, you're never going to live free. If you don't accept that what God says is true, the ultimate reality for your life, you're never going to experience it. Romans 6, 11 says, Likewise, reckon yourselves also dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think I misquoted it somewhere. But what did he say? Reckon. He said, man, you've got to balance your account. Any of you guys reconcile your checkbooks? Good. I'm glad there's three of us. I don't know the younger generation. I don't understand it. I just go online and see what my balance is. I'm like, you don't keep track of like what you wrote and what's outstanding. I just look at my balance. It's my kids, you know. But me, I still reconcile my checkbook. And I say, man, inflows, outflows, this is what I got left. And that's what Romans 6 is saying here. He said, hey, buddy, you've got to wake up. You've got to reconcile your account. You've got to realize, man, what you were in Adam, it died. And the new you is Christ in you, and that's not the old you. There's a new you. And the new you is free from the old you. Because you died, and he lives in you. And by reconciling our account, then we walk in this newness of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. I, I'm way overprepared. I'm sorry. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the, do you, see, do you hear what I'm saying? What did he say? Let's go over it again because some of you are sleeping. Always, not sometimes, always bearing about in the body. He's talking about the experiencing living out the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Jesus is saying, remember what's true about you. Why? Because I have determined... My divine purpose and will is that my image would be manifest in you. Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. For him who loved me and gave himself for me. Why did he do it all? Because he loved us. I mean, because it's the very core of who he is. And we could go on Galatians 2.21, but we don't have time. And we say, I do not frustrate the grace of God. And that's what I was talking about from Ephesians. Man, you're frustrating the purposes of God when you live under a standard. Listen. I will tell people this. If you're not willing to yield yourself to the indwelling life of God and to live out of the vine, then certainly manage your flesh because it's better than nothing. But it's so short of what God wants to do in you and how he wants to to have us experience everything that he has for us.